About 22 years ago, give or take a year, because my mind all blends it together, uh, St. James was about 500 feet that way. Uh, maybe more like 1,000 feet that way. I don't know, 500, 1,000, who cares? Somewhere in that neighborhood. The universe is infinite, so 500 or 1,000 feet is almost nothing. Um, either way. But we had a building, St. James United Methodist Church there, and across the street from us, still across the street from us, uh, is Northern Virginia Community College. And Northern Virginia Community College was having a classroom space issue, so they asked if they could have a class meet in our fellowship hall, and we said, sure. Uh, and uh, so they met in our fellowship hall. I don't remember what day of the week, and it doesn't really matter. That doesn't really fit in. But at that point, St. James became sort of vaguely known by some of the students. And so I got a call one afternoon from uh, a young man who was a member of the Islamic Student uh, Group, the Islamic Student Union, and he wanted to come and have a conversation with me, kind of an interfaith conversation, and I said, sure, come on over. And so uh, uh, he came, and at that point, we sat in my office. He sat on one couch, I sat on another, and we were talking to each other, you know, introduced ourselves. I don't remember his name. I doubt, seriously, if he remembers mine, uh, and it's okay uh, either way. But he, he began the conversation, so he said, so you believe... God, I believe he referred to God as Allah, but in, in Arabic, Allah just means God. It's just, uh, it's just like saying God in English, except in Arabic, it's Allah. So he said, so you believe Allah is one? And I said, yes. But you believe that God is three? And I said, yes. And he said, you know, one doesn't equal three. And I said, yes. And he said, well, then how can you believe? One is three, three is one. And I said, uh, through faith. <laughs> and at that point, that's, uh, you know, that's where our conversation went. We talked about connection. We talked about God. We talked about, you know, his faith, his Islamic faith. I think that ultimately uh, he was hoping that he would convert me to Islam. I was hoping just to make it through a conversation without saying something totally stupid about God. Uh, and I, I don't even know if I was successful. I don't think that he was necessarily successful. But it was a conversation. How do we describe this God uh, that we believe in, who is one, as three? How can one and three be the same and three and one be the same? And the answer is yes. Uh, the how is complex. Why did we choose to think of God in this way? And it was a choice. There are biblical texts, and I'm going to read you one today, that happens to mention three aspects of God. But nowhere... In this book, anywhere, the Bible that I'm holding in my hand, 
does it say, and you shall believe in the doctrine of the Trinity? That was invented by the church much later to try to understand and describe God, and it was very complex. There are whole books, in fact, collections of books, written about uh, the economy of Trinity, and, you know, the economic Trinity, how to understand all the pieces and how they interact and who's in charge at what point and all that kind of stuff. I'm not interested in that this morning. And I'm not interested in talking to you about that. Not because it's not an interesting conversation. It is vaguely interesting. Uh, and by that I also mean vaguely not so interesting. It is complex. So I wanted to read to you a piece of this morning's, one of the readings that's prescribed for Trinity Sunday. Yes, once a year, we try to get together and talk about what the Trinity is. It's a, it's a Sunday that is the Sunday after the last Sunday in the season of Easter, and it sort of sets us into an ordinary time, a time when there isn't a big feast day, it's just Sunday after Sunday, after Sunday. And so today's prescribed reading is from my favorite chapter in Romans, chapter 8. Uh, that is one of the, not that the whole book isn't fine, whatever, uh, but the chapter 8 has got some of the most delightful pieces that really speak to my heart. So I'm allowed to have that as my favorite chapter, just like you're allowed to have a different one if you wish. So I'm reading to you chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Now listen carefully for a word from the Lord. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, Spirit, did you hear it? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with whom? Christ. Do you see all three? All three mentioned in this text. Heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now at no point in this particular text that we read on, on one, uh, you know, on a Trinity Sunday, does it say explicitly, and you shall believe in God equally as Father, Son, and Spirit, or creator, redeemer, sustainer, or any of those kinds of pieces. Much later, the church decided, through its own intuition, to look at these texts, to see these aspects, and to try to explain why we can understand that God is the God of the universe, and yet for a brief moment, God's Son, uh, Jesus, uh, the Christ, which was in Jesus, was at one point not infinite, finite, in one place, and that place was on earth, here, 2,000 years ago. How do we explain that they're not the same? How do, you, how do you speak about Jesus and not be talking about God? And how do you talk about God and not be talking about spirit? I mean, how do you talk about the three? 
And why do we talk about all three? And why can't we just say God and know that we're talking about all three at the same time? Why not? Because it sure seems like it would be much easier. Well, I think the doctrine of the Trinity exists really for one reason and one reason only. Because the, the writers of that doctrine recognized by some form of tuition and inspiration that God is something, if it's just one, we're always going to constantly be having this battle between the either and the or. God or Jesus. God or Jesus. God or Jesus. Is Jesus God? Well, then how is God God? And if Jesus, so they, instead of the either or, what if we could find a way to have the both and? And our intuition says that it's not about which aspect is most important because no aspect is most important. It's the dynamic interrelationship, the connectedness, the constant flow. In fact, they use a word we're not going to, I'm not going to say it out loud. You can look it up at some point if you want. It's a wonderful Greek word that means circle dance when they're referring to the eternal trinity. It's a circle dance. All right, fine. Perichoresis. There you go. Now you know I know it. You know it. Now we can let it go. The bottom line is they saw this dynamic interrelatedness as something that is unique to and amazing about the God that we live in. That God is not just one, God is three, and that three is a dynamic interrelatedness that poured out to become the universe. They had an intuition somehow that it wasn't static. So often when we look at images, and I, I encouraged this particular image. In fact, I used it on the, or, or one that's very similar, on the, on the web page when I was advertising what I was talking about this Sunday. And you can see that it has three unique leaves, and they're connected, but there's no beginning, and there's no end, and they flow into each other. And where do you say one begins and the other ends? Is it only, does the Father act alone? Does the Son act alone? Does the Spirit act alone? Or is the Spirit acting behalf on, on behalf of the other two? Is everything that God does what one or more of the aspects are doing simultaneously? It's a constant movement. Then, it, then you can't pin God down. In a way for us Christians... The doctrine of the Trinity is like our Zen Cohen. It's like talking about the gateless gate. How can the gate be gateless? I don't know. Become a Zen, you know, become a Zen Buddhist and study that, and you can work around in a little circle. The same is true, just like that wonderful conversation I had with the Islamic young man who said to me, so you believe God is one, yes, so you believe God is three, yes. How can you put the two together? It's complex and it's simple. Because we are made in the image of God, that is, we are made for relationship. St. Augustine said it this way, our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. 
we have a kind of emptiness that can't be filled. Now, we find lots of ways to try to fill it, that relational part of ourselves. We try to relate to the work that we do. We try to relate to the money that we make or the success that we have or the stuff that we own or the people that are in our lives, the people we know, especially if they're famous people, you know, and can drop a few names. Hey, I know Jesus. Yeah, there you go. Name dropping right there. But the bottom line is none of those things will fill us up. None of those things will fill the relational gap in our lives because to be made in the image of God is to be made for relationship. And that relationship is with one another, with the universe, with God. With that sense of connectedness. And part of that intuition tells us God just wasn't sitting on some throne somewhere, whatever that throne looks like. Um, I always have this picture of, uh, for reasons beyond my comprehension, Charlton Heston, you know, but it's because he has that long white beard and after years of, uh, of studying or thinking about uh, Charlton Heston, I always come back, uh, not Charlton Heston, but God, going back to that original every year around Easter time, the Ten Commandments would be on TV. And, you know, God would speak out of the whirlwind to Moses and tell him the Ten Commandments, all that good kind of stuff. That's what I see. And it's also because on top of the Sistine Chapel, uh, because they didn't have a better model, uh, our, uh, they painted what essentially amounts to a Zeus-like figure at the top reaching out to Adam. That was the same image that was used for Zeus, and they thought, well, we'll just borrow Zeus. Because in the end, the image of God is not an image, but a relationship. The doctrine of the Trinity is about what God wants from us and, what, and who God is in eternity. And God is relationship. God was a relationship before it all began, and that relationship was so filled with love that it spilled out into what we call the universe now. And it's so much of it that it just keeps spilling out infinitely. There is no end at this point to the universe. And your mind can't get around it and neither can mine. Any more than we can get around how one can be three and three can be one. It's not a mind thing. It's a love thing. It's a relationship thing. The purpose of the doctrine of the Trinity, I am convinced, now some people would say I'm boiling it down into too much simplicity, but I really think that the purpose of the doctrine of the Trinity is for us to recognize the relationality of the eternal God of which we are invited in to this dynamic, eternal circle dance. That the circle just keeps getting bigger. Now, it doesn't make me God, but it makes me part of the dance. You know, Thomas Merton speaks about the universe in this way. The world and time itself is a dance of the Lord in emptiness. We are God dancing. The grass in the front yard is God dancing. This, all that is, is an infinite dance reflecting aspects of God. 
Now, don't get me wrong. God is not equivalent with creation. God is in creation, but God is also other than creation. God is relation, connection, the ground of all that is, the dance that brings us into being and invites us to the dance itself to be in relationship, connected. I don't care what aspects you choose to identify with when it comes to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't care personally. Um, some people feel very, very strongly. And there was a time in my life when I felt very, very strongly. But biblically, I don't care what, I, I, I don't care what language you use to recognize the relationships. Certainly, God played a part in giving birth to Jesus. If you want to see God in a motherly way, then that's perfectly fine. God mothered the universe. That's perfectly fine. There are biblical images of God like a mother hen gathering up her chicks. There are plenty of images, whatever image you want, but recognize that God is not just one other transcendent, but God is transcendent, God is personal, and God is more than either. And those are the aspects of this dance to which we're invited to be a part because in the end, it's the same word James used earlier during one of his prayers. It is a mystery we're being invited into. And a mystery doesn't mean that it's unexplainable. It means it's infinitely explainable. The mystery of God is that I see God through the eyes God gave me. And I see it, I see God in James and in Mark and Joy and in the technology that we use to put this information, this connection out into the world. I see it in Galen the new member of the Donnelly household. I see God in all of those places, but through my eyes. So my perspective is my own. Now, because God is infinite relationship, the way God relates to me is different than the way God relates to you. It is not a generic relationship. You don't get a generic stamp related to God. We can call ourselves children of God, absolutely. But I have two children, and neither one of them is exactly alike. Have you met Joshua and Hannah? And if you haven't, you've missed out. But Hannah and Josh are two different people. Not only are they two different genders, but they are also both their own person, and they have grown up to be people I love to be around. You know that debate you always have if you're a part of a larger sibling group where, you know, dad loves me more than he loves you. Mom loves me more than she loves you. No. I've already had that conversation with Hannah and Josh. Josh has told me in his young teenage years, you love my Hannah more than you love me. And Hannah has told me uh, uh, even more recently than that, I think you love Josh more than you love me. I love Josh different than I love you. There's no way to measure how, you can't compare them. 
It's like apples and oranges. I love an apple one way, and I love an orange another way, and I love Hannah one way, and I love Josh another way, because they, the way we relate to each other is not a generic love. It is personal. It's connected. Now try to describe that, and then you get to the dance of the Trinity, because God has infinite love, but it's personal. And Siri even wants to get in, and she found some important things. I don't even know what she found. I'm not looking now. Don't you live for a moment when Siri just feels like she's got to jump in, or he's got to jump in if you've changed Siri's voice. The bottom line is this. God wants a relationship with us so badly. God began by having a beautiful, infinite relationship of pouring out Everything about God is constantly emptying. God the creator, the eternal father, the the mother of us all, poured self out into son. Son pours self out into spirit, spirit back into, and it's a constant pouring. It's like one of those water wheels. Now, I originally thought I was going to uh, make time in the midst of my life to uh, get an object lesson. But if you've ever seen a fidget spinner, and I've even talked about the fidget spinner before, if you hold it up, most fidget spinners have three little arms. And it just looks like three little arm things. It It could look exactly like the Trinity right there. But if you hold it between your fingers and you spin it and you look at it, it suddenly just becomes a whirring circle and all the colors blend together. That's the dynamic interrelatedness of God who wants to embrace it. So now you say, well, James, you've made it, once again, this just sounds like a wonderful little delightful piece of theological nightmare that you have invited me into a lot of theoretical stuff that means absolutely nothing except that it means everything. Because the dynamic interrelatedness and energy and love and connectedness that we know of as God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is the same dynamic God that wants to make a universe that wants to invite us to be a part of it, that wants to dance us into being and love us just as we are, not unlike the world in which we live, that wants us to fit into a package that they make of their own, to hold a spot, the spot that they've designed for us. God created a spot in the entire universe for each one of us. A unique spot. Your spot isn't my spot. My spot isn't your spot. But the Spirit reveals God through each of us uniquely. That's what I think verse 12 is about. Don't live by the flesh. The flesh is the worldly way of doing things. You be this. You fit into this economic system. You be this either or Republican, Democrat. You be this, 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 this. 
You be a good boy or a good girl. You get good grades or good grades. There's not an or there. Just get good grades. You know, you make something of your life. I just have to tell you, your life has already been made something of if you just let the Spirit sing through you. Because that's what God wants to do. That's what this dynamic relationship that is constantly spinning and inviting us to be a part of it, you can't put your finger on it because it's bigger than we are. And yet your finger is on it just by existing because in God we live and move and have our being. The practical meaning of all of this is because we're made for relationship, we want to do the best we can to be related, connected to God, to each other. We want to say, yes, I don't understand what the heck James Henry was talking about this morning, but that's okay. Because in the end, love has got to be more than an intellectual event. I had a manager when I worked in a restaurant once who told me, that marriage was purely an economic agreement. That's what he believed. And you know what? I think that's good. Delightful for him. He had intellectualized it. But I did not sit down with a plan book, a playbook, to figure out how I would make Linda fall in love with me. I liked some aspects of her intellectually, but in the end, my heart just fell. I understand what falling in love is because it's really falling into love. And we can do that with the universe. We can do that with each other. We can do that with God because God is the love we are falling into. Don't underestimate relationship because that's what you were made for. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. Live into the relationship and treat each relationship like it matters, even if the relationship is only going to last for a minute. When you're at line at Target or Starbucks, because now you can get back in line. <laughs> because things are opening up again, including eventually us. As the world opens up, every relationship matters. Everyone counts. Even the relationship we share with the bread that's on this table. Is it just bread? Is it bread and Jesus? Is it even more than that? What happens when we make it a part of ourselves? It makes us a part of God in some way. Live into the relationship. Recognize you're made for relationship. Recognize that God loves you right where you are. Because God made you to be who you are. Don't let anyone else tell you who that is. You open yourself to let God show you who that is. So you can be that person.